Welcome to Space Waffle. I'm Arzu, and I am here today with the author of The High Republic, The Eye of Darkness, George Mann. George, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So we are recording this on Pub Day. Happy Pub Day. Congratulations. How how does it feel now that it's finally out there? It's um, I mean, it's amazing. It's a, the, the response from people has been incredible. Um, you know, in the run up to today, we, where people started to post reviews and early reading copies have started to come through. But then with the book hitting today, so many people just getting in touch on sh- social media with photos of the book saying, you know, how excited they are to get started or people who've taken the day off to read it or, you know, it's just amazing. And it, it's come in two waves, which has been fun because I had like one this morning from the UK side of things. And then kind of got on with my day a little little bit, took the dogs for a walk, came back and suddenly like checked social media and it had gone crazy again. So um, North America woke up. and Exactly that, exactly that. America woke up and people were getting their posts, I guess, and or nipping to, to the store to buy the book. So it's been, it's been a wonderful feeling. So diving into this, so what has it been like kind of being, you know, a Star Wars The High Republic author, one of the Luminous team now going into phase three? It, exciting actually you know we're it's the culmination of a lot of work that um the original architect started and then you know a, me and a few other people joined to to help and uh, tell that story so we've we've all been working on it for years and um it's exciting to be starting to to bring some of those threads together um and and bring things towards a big climax and um i guess a little bit of trepidation and, and um, a nervousness in the sense of kind of you want you want to make sure that we do a good job and that we we deliver all the promise that has, has come before um, and hopefully we will do that I have every faith that with with, with the other writers that they, you know they're, they're, they're going to do that um, so um, so yeah it's that I means mostly excitement really because you know we 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 know where this story is going and we can't wait to see people's reactions to it so it's like so far it is off to an amazing start. I loved the Eye of Darkness very, very much. Um so what for you were the challenges in joining this like train already in motion, or did having this one year time jump and all these new characters kind of ease the the bumps? Um I guess it's I mean the 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 challenge is really is in um kind of wanting to do justice to what's gone before, um to up your game to make sure that you you know you're doing the the best possible work you can to to kind of honor the characters and and people's love of those characters and the work that the the previous writers have put into to it um i'm i'm kind of lucky that i i had a bit of an inside track in during phase one because i started doing some bits and bobs during during that time i wrote a short story for dark legends and the the two children's um picture books um which was kind of a prelude to, to work on phase two. So I got to read a lot of the manuscripts for phase one early as they were being written mm-hmm. um, and, and had a bit of an inside track there. So I felt like I knew these characters as well in preparation for phase three. So I've lived with them for a long time. And, in, and as a fan, I've enjoyed reading their stories as well. Um, so, um, you know, I, th- I think the challenges are, are, are more in, um, in finding the voices um, and making sure that the characters behave in the way that you want them to behave um, and that the people expect them to behave, but also putting them through new something new and different, um, deepening their characters if you can. Um, 
and the rest of the team have, have always been hugely encouraging and helpful as well. So there's no, there were never any challenges in terms of like, who's this interloper? How dare he, <laughs> how, how dare he thinking coming right with these characters? Um, everyone's just been always been really welcoming. And, you know, I am, um, I know you've talked to, to everyone on the team and, um, it's kind of a, a little found family really of, of, of writers who are all very happy to work together. And, and that's, that's really lovely because it's, it's kind of a little support group. So you, you've talked about this collaboration, you know, the whole luminous team, everybody's working together, everybody's sharing their characters, their concepts, but was there for you a character or a concept that you came up with that you were especially proud of that you can remember kind of off the top of your head? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, there's a there's a there's a few, um, but I suppose the one that really stands out to me is the character of Solandra Show in Phase Two, um, the the Jedi with the shield. Um, just because I I really wanted to do something different, um, as as you know, and 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 have a Jedi who um, had a really strong message behind behind them, and um, there was you know a piece of concept art. Um, I forget who did it now. Um, it was this amazing kind of Republic citizen or Republic Jedi um, kind of character. And, um, and they had a hat on their back. Right. And, and to me, I kind of interpreted the shape of it and going, oh, what if it was a shield? Um, and um, kind of started delving into that. It's like, why would a Jedi have a shield? Because, you know, a Jedi doesn't need a shield if they've got a lightsaber, really. Um, so, so in that, you know, it started to become something that was symbolic rather than, um, you know, a, a tool, and you know, obviously she uses it as a tool, but there was more. There was more to it than that. There's a reason she carried the shield uh, as a symbol, um, and that was something. Um, kind of, I was really delighted that um, kind of that Lucasfilm were very happy for me to to pursue that story and 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 bring Salandra into the world, and and that, and obviously to carry that story through. I don't. Know if, I don't want to add too many spoilers for people who haven't read Tales of Light and Life. But there's a story in there about the shield and the future of the shield, and kind of to to be able to pass that torch on through into another character in the High Republic was was incredible as well. So, um, so yeah, Solange stands out to me as kind of uh, one of my favourite contributions to the the High Republic so far. I I love Salandra and Rupert, just their their masterpad one dynamic. I miss them already. As happy as I am to be back <laughs> in this in this time period, I I dearly miss so many of the characters from Phase Two. Me too. Um, Me too. <laughs> they're, just, they're just such a great bunch. Um, so diving into the Eye of Darkness now. Um, yeah. You know we've had a couple of comics for Phase Three. Those those kicked it off. This feels like the the hard launch. So can you talk to me about kind of the headspace of of learning that you were kicking it off? Kicking off the books, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, you know, and 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 that's that is often how it works because with with a, a novel, you're writing, you've got a long lead time as well, so you're starting work early on. Whereas in you know, and then there's a there's a lot of kind of collaboration to do along the way. When so, for example, Charles started writing his comics, I'd already had a draft of the novel, so we were able to talk about how those things were going to interact, and then I could make changes to the novel, and he could make changes to the comics, and make okay. sure everything worked. Um, but in terms of headspace, I mean, obviously it's a huge privilege, a huge privilege, um, and quite daunting in some ways. Um, it was no small feat kind of to, to, to kind of approach this story and think about how are we going to make this feel 
like the next step after Fallen Star, but also the first step of, of the new phase. And also, are we talking spoilers or are we not talking spoilers? I will put a timestamp for spoilers. So if you're listening to this, <laughs> adhere to the timestamp. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm not going to go into a lot of depth in terms of spoilers, but obviously there are some connections to, to phase two in the book as well. So um, with the EX droid and, and a kind of Porter's story thread. And so I wanted to kind of look at everything that had gone before and try and bring it into phase three um, and help people understand the relevance of phase two in the in the overall story as well so so yeah so there was a lot to get my head around um a lot of characters to to revisit um and um you know you feel a certain amount of pressure launching a, a phase of phase three and it, i knew how much everyone was excited to get back to these characters we left people on this terrible cliffhanger really um for a long time um so you know there's 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 a certain amount of pressure to perform in terms of like you know f giving people a fulfilling story that's that's going to um to satisfy them but also kicking off the next arc um but also but you know once i got writing it was it was just a joy really it's you know it's it's it's, it's an honor to to be able to write something that feels like such a kind of tentpole moment in um in star wars kind of publishing history um so um, I just, you know, you can't, I suppose you can't worry too much about that kind of thing. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to write the book. So you have to just kind of, you know, you have to kind of put that aside. And it, you, the first time you write Star Wars, you know, the first time you write a lightsaber switching on, you kind of, you get a shiver down your spine. You go, oh, wow. Okay. You know, I've, and I'm writing about a lightsaber, you know, um, and I'm writing about Jedi and, you know, and you kind of have to go over that and go, right. But also I have a job to do. And I have to go and tell a great story about these characters. Um, so you kind of, you allow yourself your moment of enjoyment and then you put it to one side and go, right, now I have to get on and write this book. Um, so that was kind of the approach I took with the book. Do you, do you pull a Ewan McGregor and make the lightsaber sound as you're writing it? Of course. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, you know, um, I do a little bit of... Um, kind of when you're choreographing an action scene there has been times where I've, you know, I've got a lightsaber from Savvy's workshop behind me um I do occasionally get it out and kind of think right how's that going to work if you know and, and like and and realize that I'm actually just I'm just still a kid you know playing playing <laughs> with a lightsaber and then getting to write down these stories uh, which is the which is the beauty of it that's you know um Carvo often says you know he still has the same to-do list he had when he was eight um and uh, that's a really good way of describing it you know it's it's like you get to play with all the toys which is brilliant um so yeah so i definitely make all the lightsaber sounds excellent <laughs> uh so i of darkness is kind of this like to kind of go back to what you said it's kind of this two-part jump because we're jumping yeah. a century and a half from phase two we are jumping a year after phase one could you elaborate a bit more on you know the process of making this double shift now in terms of uh, in terms of story, in terms of process, yeah. Well, I suppose a, a big part of it is um, you're taking into account where everyone's at at the end of phase one, but also um, you know the the time. So I'm kind of looking at that. I mentioned earlier, obviously, we wanted to include some proper references to phase two as well. Like you know, phase two. Um, it exists for a reason it wasn't just a, mm -hmm. a you know a, on a, on whimsy that we kind of flash back to to, to before right. times we we wanted to you know we wanted to give people a history of where the nile had come from but also 
Star Wars is a um, a universe with this kind of persistence and this kind of constant flow of story. Um, so I really wanted to kind of make sure that there were, there were elements for phase two that were, were bleeding into to this. So, so yeah, so you're looking at these two time jumps. Um, and actually the, the year difference, you know, we early on, like we talked, talked a lot about when this phase starts and, um, as a, as a, as a team, we'd kind of talked through this idea that, okay, we're joining them a year later, um, then, then. Where we left them so the fallen star you know starlight beacons gone um and a lot has happened um that allows us to get a new status quo and and what that did that was a that's a blessing really as a writer because what we're doing is we're um we're seeing how everything's changed and it's a, kind of you reintroducing the characters which felt like a, a really good way to to launch a new phase in in the, in the sense that you know it's a jumping on point and now I, I know obviously anyone who, who's reading The High Republic is going to benefit a lot more from having read Phase 1 and Phase 2 before approaching Eye of Darkness. It's, you know, we're quite deep into the story at this point. But also, you know, it's a reminder for people as well who might not have gone back to Phase 1 for a while. It's been a couple of years, you know. Um, an opportunity to reintroduce those characters. And, and so kind of it, it felt like a um, not quite a fresh start, but a way for me to get get under the skin of the of the the the, the lead um, protagonists and kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to find my way into writing this story? Um, and I think it's it if I'd picked it up on the beach at the end of Fallen Star and and gone and run from there, it would have been a lot more complicated because you know there's no time for those characters to have changed, to have different thoughts, to have to reflected on what happened, um, you know, to be in different parts of the the galaxy. So, um, so this was, you know, and Charles had kind of introduced the occlusion zone in either storm. Um, so it was a, it was kind of decided very early on um, by the by the team. You know, we were going to have Avra on one side of the, the wall and, and Elzar on the other. Um, so again, the, the time jump really helped with that to be able to go. Okay, well, they've been apart for a while, and how are they feeling about that? And it, it posed loads of great questions, which allowed me to kind of delve into their, their characters. I think, yeah, I think, you know, if, if you had, like you said, like picked it up immediately, there's no new normal yet because they're still mm. reeling. Whereas a year later, this is now the galaxy's new normal. Yeah. And what exactly. does that mean for everybody? Exactly. And we're, we're in, you know, we're in the time of the long dark night of the soul for the, for the Jedi at this point, you know, um, time's moved on and they haven't made any more progress since Star Beacon went down. They've come, they're, they're just managing to hold things together. Um, that's interesting. That's like you know, it's a, that's it's 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 different. It's different from from any time we've ever, we've seen the Jedi before. Um, so for me, that was that was a fascinating angle to explore. So in terms of character, I want to come back to that. But in terms of character for this, there are you know a lot of our old friends, but there are you know a lot of new characters that were previously background characters or stuff like that, like Real Darius, who's a new favorite of mine. Um, <laughs> So I wonder if you can talk a bit about kind of choosing who to bring out and what it was like developing well, these characters into like an established environment. Yeah. So in, in, in terms of kind of the background characters rather than the core protagonists. Um, yeah. Then we're yeah. going to get to the, we're going to get to our hero. <laughs> I'm no, so absolutely. curious about this. <laughs> no. Um, 
I think there's there's a whole bunch of factors that go into it. Really, there's there's a there's a bit about kind of me as, as a writer wanting to explore more about some of the characters that I'd enjoyed as a reader. So you know, thinking how are these people functioning after um, after everything's happened, uh, especially some of the characters who aren't Jedi, like Rill, mm-hmm. who um, have lived surrounded by Jedi and have lived in the shadow of the Jedi and now are living in the shadow of the Nile. What what does what's that done to them? How how does that affect them? Has how, what's their view on the Jedi now? You know that they've seen that the the Jedi can fail. Um, so I think that was a fascinating angle as well. And and kind of um, so there's a bit about kind of my kind of personal take on it. Um, there was a bit with, about the kind of the function of the story. Real's a good example actually because she she's a reporter. You know, at the end of the day and. Kind of, I really wanted to do something with a kind of P.G. Woodhouse style character. I don't know how much you guys know P.G. Woodhouse in the states. But, I, I, I know a bit, of, a bit, so but not the, yeah. the creator of G's and Worcester, and you know. Um, but during the war, he was um, held by the the Nazis and forced to make broadcasts, um, kind of propaganda broadcasts, and um, I kind of thought that was a you know a really fascinating potential. To introduce that into the High Republic, and and that's where it became obvious to go, well, which character is going to work best for that. You know, you can either create a new character, or you can look at what characters already exist, and right. it's better to use characters that already exist because you're strengthening the world and the world building that's that's, that's going on. Um, if they if they're already there, so Rill became that obvious character, um, trapped behind the storm wall. Um, being forced to make these broadcasts, and and then all, of course what that that allows you to do is then explore well how do they feel about that, and what are they doing to fight back. So you start to get kind of conflict introduced into the story as well, and obviously you know all good stories revolve around conflict. So that was a great kind of angle, um, and then there are other instances like Kevin Tarr makes an appearance. Um, I in my first draft of the book that was an original a new character. So I'd, I'd put a new character in um, to be that person to, to to talk to Elzar about kind of the Stormwall and the technology, and um, it was kind of going back and talking to the other guys. It became obvious. It's like, no, of course we have a character who fits. So I swapped out the new character, who no one knew, you know, and introduced Kevin back into the book. Um, so which, which again is strengthening those links to the earlier books, um, which felt like the right move. So sometimes it comes from kind of a desire to want to explore a character. Sometimes it comes from kind of the obvious necessity of the story needing a character type. Um, and then there was, there, you know, there's also the fun of introducing new characters like Belin, um, where, you know, you just kind of, you want a character in a certain circumstance and a certain type of personality, and there isn't an obvious one to pick, so you, you create one. Um, so, yes, it's kind of a, quite an organic process, I guess. Really, and and then there's also there's a, there's a lot of discussion around it when you know when you say oh, I'm going to use this character, you, 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 we go, we all go to the rest of the team and say where's this character at? What are they up to? Is anyone planning to use them? Okay, I'm thinking of doing this with them. Does anyone have any objections? You know, and then you you, you kind of you get on with it um, because obviously the last thing you want to do is scupper other people's storytelling if someone else is writing a a book. And they're planning to use that character for a pivotal moment. And you're saying, no, 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 I'm locking them in the occlusion zone. And they're like, no, well, I need them on the other side, you know. So, um, so yes, yeah, there's a lot of kind of, um, but well, actually, 
we know we, what tends to happen in those circumstances is the other guys will help you to work it out so they'll go okay great or how do we do both or how how can i help set that up in my book for you you know or, or in fact that's great if you're gonna use that character can you leave them here so that i can pick it up so you know we we have a kind of good way of kind of figuring these things out that makes me think of like kids sharing a box of action figures <laughs> like i want to play with this one now you can have it in 10 minutes and pretty much the case it's pretty much the case <laughs> So in terms of our old friends um, on the Republic side of things, we have, you know, Avar, we have Chancellor. So they, to me, in Eye of Darkness felt like they were leaning really hard into their coping mechanisms. Like they are doubling, yeah, yeah. tripling, quadrupling down. Elzar Man is lost. He doesn't have the option to fall back on his coping mechanisms. He's kind of having to play Avar. He has to play Stellan. He has to kind of assume all of this because he's alone on the Republic side. His best friends are not there. So I wonder if you can talk a bit about getting into their into their headspaces now. In, in yeah, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty dark place that everyone's at, at, uh, at the, certainly at the start of the book, um, and and for much of the book as well. You know, like the the Jedi are very much in the place of we've lost, and also we've had a year of trying to fight back, and nothing has worked, um, which is kind of is has really hit them hard. They, you know, it's it's the these are the the Jedi at their height, and they they're finding they can't whichever way they look, they you know they they don't know what to do. Um, they've, they've instigated the Guardian protocols. They've pulled everyone back to Coruscant. They have a real fear of the Nameless because there is you know Mark Inroe hasn't just like you know dropped Starlight Beacon into the Ocean of Irem, and um, you know he's also got this weapon that will kill them um so they're having to be really careful about you know how what missions they sanction which missions they don't sanction um and that again that introduces lots of conflict because you've got people like so elzar is a great example of this where um he just wants to do something he, he's, he's reached the point he's like he's, he, like you say he's lost he's broken really um he's um still beating himself up for what happened on starlight beacon um um blames himself for Stellan's death, believes that he has to fill the shoes of Stellan because, you know, it, it was his fault in his eyes that Stellan died. Um, he believes he's, he's driven Avar off um, by opening up to her and admitting what happened. Um, and, you know, there's there's obviously a, a developing relationship between him and Avar as well, so he's, he's missing her deeply as well. Um so he's very much alone. He's confiding in Chancellor So. Um, he's not getting much headway with the Jedi Council. Um, he just wants to. He just wants to punch something, you know, <laughs> because he, that's 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 like he wants to punch his way through the occlusion zone and get to Avar, and not just Avar, but he to to get to Marky and Roe and to stop him doing what he's doing and to show everyone that the Jedi are still the Jedi and that they're still there to protect everyone, you know. So he's, he's in some ways his instincts are right like in, in in wanting to to demonstrate to the galaxy that the, the jedi are still their protectors um but obviously he's going about it the wrong way um and, and doesn't know what to do and doesn't know who to go to for advice um so so yeah he's in he's probably in the darkest place um but avar you like you say avar's very much in a um She's falling back in all in, into old patterns of behaviour. So she's, um, 
in some ways she feels a little bit freed by the sense that she doesn't have to live up to being the hero of Hetzel anymore. You know, she's mm. um, she's trying to think, well, actually, I'll just go back to being a Jedi. I know, you know, I, I it all went wrong when I became Marshal of Starlight Beacon and I became this this figure head. It, I didn't, I, you know, I messed it all up. And actually, oh, I was good at being a Jedi. I know what I know what that looks like. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to like get the small wins, and and she's kind of in the headspace of lots of small wins will add up to something bigger, but it's not really. It's 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 not working, um, and you know she has to. That's the journey that she's on. She has to realize um, what she needs is other people. She needs to, she needs to remember who she's who, remember her role in things but also she has to remember that it's it's okay to need other people and she, like being being out there on her own is not the answer um you know and and i think you know i i kind of love kind of love the fact that it's a little little ugnaught that teaches her that or reminds her of that um and then porter and then obviously you know towards that's and that's where we get the hope coming back into it um okay. you know um and and the chancellor yeah i mean the chancellor is also in a similar place she's um you know her son is lost in the occlusion zone she doesn't know where he is so on a very personal level she's in the same sort of place as elsa you know, mm -hmm. it's like i i don't know what to do nothing's working and i'm i'm missing someone i love um, very dearly um but at the same time she has she still has to be the chancellor and lead the republic and and there's still a you know one of the things I've kind of wanted to try and get a little bit of a sense of is, um, and I think the council talk about this, they've still got the rest of the galaxy to worry about. It's not, you know, like the occlusion zone is the, is the big thing. It's the big elephant in the room. It's the big problem that needs dealing with, but there's still problems in all the other worlds. And, you know, there's still pirates raiding elsewhere and, you know, whatever else is going on and they need to be on top of that. And, and I think the chancellor feels that very keenly as well. Um, so I think that's why when Elzar gives her the the option, says, I think I found a way to, to batter it down. She's like, well, let's go, let's go and do it. Because nothing else has worked for her either. Um, so I, I kind of enjoyed writing their relationship in, in the book and, and seeing how, you know, because Elzar's not getting what he needs from the um, from the council, he's, he's, he's working with the chancellor. And, and obviously, you know, that's, there's an official capacity there as well as being a bridge between the two. Right. Uh, so yeah, um, so that's kind of that's the status quo as we kind of enter the book and the and the, the journeys that those guys are all on. Um, so I want to circle back to Elzar for a second, um, and also I would have to turn in my uh, Martian Row fan club card if I didn't ask about him. So um, he, to me, in this book, he kind of seems to parallel Elzar almost and that he's like kind of had to take on this role. I don't really think he wanted or anticipated. He doesn't want to kind of play the part. Um, so I wonder if that parallel was intentional. Was it something that sprung up organically? Am I reading way too much into this? <laughs> no, no, um, no, you're not reading too much into it. I mean, it, it's, it is intentional. It's something that it did happen organically as I was writing. And um, I um, kind of then further developed during the course of the writing and the rewriting um, process, because um, there was a pivotal scene for me, which, um, you know, everyone writes differently, I suppose. And, and the way I tend to work is I, I 
I'll be writing the book, but there'll be a moment, and it happens every time I'm writing a book, there's there's a moment where the book kind of unlocks, it's like a key turns in the lock, and I go, ah, oh, okay, that's what this book's about. Right. And um, sometimes it's early in the book, sometimes it's very late in the book, and in this case, it was kind of in the middle, and it was the moment when um, Mark and Roe is talking to Gira in the fortress on Hetzel and says, um, what the Jedi haven't learned yet, that I've learned, is that to 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 win you have to become your enemy and by becoming your enemy you lose mm. so he's kind of it's, it's that whole that whole idea that he's he's won everything that he set out to do and in the process of it he's lost everything because now you know gear is saying to him we have to become a government we have to we have to do you know create a treaty with the republic we have to look after the people we've we've shut off in the occlusion zone and they're, they're now our citizens and we have to be responsible for them and that's the last thing someone mark and Monroe wants he's he's not he's not about order he's he's an agent of chaos um chaos of chaos's sake um so that's absolute anathema to him um and that's what he's realized is like you know he's he's that that statement he makes it's about him he's he's had to become or what gear is telling him is that he's, he's having to become like the republic um the, the very thing that he set out to destroy so um and that's and that's where he's at in in this book you know and you don't spend a lot of time in Markin's head and i i'm i'm kind of a believer in um trying to make his presence very felt very much felt throughout the book but not mm -hmm. it's like sherlock holmes you know you you always want to see everything from watson's point of view you never want to be inside sherlock's right. head and I kind of felt a little bit certainly for this book that that was the right place to be with with Markian. um uh, but that there's that one moment where he kind of drops the facade and, and admits that's how I'm feeling about things, and and I think you're absolutely right, you know, because I I I kind of I'd already been writing the Elsa thing of him trying to be Stellan and and feeling for for Avar in her absence as well, um, and the one thing that that Elzar isn't doing is being himself, and that's that's what he needs to be. He needs to he needs to trust himself and be himself, um, but he's not. He's trying to be Stellan, even to the extent that he's kind of unconsciously growing a beard, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, but he, you know, he's 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 holding himself up to a, a to a impossible standard because he's not Stellan. He's never going to be Stellan. He's going to be Elzar, and that's that's his strength, and that's what he has to realise. And um, and so the two of them are both trying to be some something or someone else or rallying against that um so yeah there was very much a kind of parallel here it's like i my kind of first draft title for the book was triumph of the nile um oh. and um and then kind of we realized you know actually although markians won he's not triumphant at all it's quite the opposite it's you know everyone's lost in this situation um right. so um so yeah so that's just quite a kind of bleak place to start <laughs> to start the phase I really mean, and to start the book <laughs> so um speaking of of the nile and where they're at for me the best villains have this kind of shade of understanding like their means may not be justified but you kind of understand what they want at yeah. the end of the day so can you can you talk about characterizing the nile in this book post pseudo victory yeah um it's interesting because and that's and that's one i guess that's one of the reasons i didn't want to get too much into marking's head because um i think at the moment 
it's 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 the story will is better if you don't quite know what he's planning next because that's 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 what makes Markin scary. You know, if you knew all his plans, actually, he's just another villain. He's just Thrawn. You know, you know, like Thrawn is is that master tactician. You know, he 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 can see three steps ahead. He plans. He's a chess player. Um, that's not Markin. That we you know we've never wanted Markin to be that. He's 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 a different sort of villain, and that's what's so scary about him to the Jedi. Um, and you know, I think. We never really talked about this, but you, you think you know the the Jedi are in order, Jedi the Jedi order, and and Markian's chaos. So it's kind of order versus chaos is is, is what you're playing with, um, and that's what I think the guys did so well with Phase One, showing the chaos of the Nile and how, how the disruption techniques were completely kind of unexpected and um, and flummoxed the Jedi. Here, I um, I think. They are evolving and 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 almost factionalizing a little bit around Gira or Markian, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that um, some of them see you know you see that in the book some of them putting their support behind Gira and her approach of kind of well we're not tempest runners anymore we have ministers and ministries and um, we have to we have to get organised and we have to present a, a professional front. To the rest of the galaxy um you know and she's blatantly lying to the republic about what's happening in the occlusion so you know, she, oh it's all it's everything smells of roses and everyone's really happy and you know they're all flourishing and you know you see a little bit behind the curtain and realize of course that's not what's happening at all um because the nile haven't really changed she's but she's she's pulling them in them in that direction so um and you know let's face it with she's she's not doing it because um, she's benevolent and she wants to help those people. She's doing it for Gira, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's you know she wants to survive this, and I, th- I suppose she's starting to worry a little bit about Markian's approach and what he's going to do next. So, um, so I think yeah. So I think it's in characterizing Markian, you have to kind of um, show that everyone around him is scared of him. Even even his lover is scared of him because he could do anything at any any moment. Um, and and Gira, I think, is that kind of um, voice of reason. Um, you know, you can you can understand her motives, even if they are self centered. You can understand what she's doing and, and why she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know. You mentioned kind of like wanting to understand the villain, or or like the best villains. You can you can they're not just outright cackling villains, but they've got some depth. And they're complex. not just twirling a mustache and Ex- exactly that. Buying and, and, someone to the railroad track. <laughs> and exactly that, um, and that's why I wanted to have that moment of of kind of um, marking revealing kind of where he's at, because um, I think I think actually you know in a lot of ways it makes him scarier because you realise. Okay, so he's he's really not happy, and um, he really doesn't want to be doing this, and he doesn't want to be here, and he doesn't really care what Gear is getting up to. It's not going to change what he's thinking about, um, and he's he's even more unpredictable because of that. You know, the, like you know um, when he when he um, murders a grandmaster um, with a with a nameless on a broadcast. Um, yeah. At the, at the same time that Gear is trying to make reparations with the, um, you know, and that's, he's doing that because because he can, 
because he's powerful and, and showing, you know, his um, he's, he doesn't even really have a point to make other than, you know, um, this is our celebration of um, the anniversary of Starlight Beacon's fall. You know, we're, we're going to remind everyone the power that we hold over you. Um, but, um, you know, it's, a, it's an escalation. You know, you've, you've seen him, you've seen him kill Jedi. You've seen him kill masters. Now he's killing a grandmaster and, um, and showing the, the galaxy. Um, so, yeah. So I think for me, it's, um, keeping Marky and scary was, was a, was a key element of it. I think I forgot in the interim since the fallen star, how scary he actually is until the scene with the Grandmaster being broadcast to everybody. And I was like, right. He's <laughs> actually very scary. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he's yeah. In, I mean, and, and the thing is, he's scary, but he's not scary in a, um, in a kind of crazy way. He's not, you know, it's not, it's, he's not the Joker. He's, yeah. he's, 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 he's kind of, he's, he's clever. He's, you know, he's an intelligent man. Um, and I think it's that's, that weird dichotomy of kind of like, okay, so here's someone who understands exactly what he's doing and does it anyway. You know, what does that mean? Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it, it's, it's a pretty scary place to be. So widening it out a little bit. Um, nobody in this book has an easy time of anything. Um, and it really feels like for a lot of them, there's no right answer. So since the core of Star Wars at the end of the day is hope, how do you maintain hope in a story where everything is this bleak? Um, for now, it's not going to be bleak forever, I hope. But for now, it's all extremely bleak. No, well, I think, I mean, so, so yeah, I mean, you partly answered the question in, in, in a sense. So um, there, there, were, there were a couple of things. The first thing to remember is it's, it's, it's book one of the phase. So where um, you have to have somewhere to go, you know, and actually that, you know, um, it's going to, you know, if if the Jedi win through, it's going to feel even more triumphant because they face such darkness. So you have to, you have to kind of, you know, the light is only the light because the dark exists. That's a, that's, you know, that's a classic Star Wars trope, really. You know, um, you can't have the light side without the dark side. Um, you can't have hope without um, kind of loss of hope, I suppose, and without without the darkness. So you have to. So I think there's a, the part of the the job of this book was to show the, the, the Jedi at their lowest, um, at their lowest ebb. But also within that, you know, you've got to give, um, you're going to show characters winning hope back because that's how they win through. So you're right. I mean, hope is the heart of Star Wars. Um, and it's it's things like um, Avar hearing Elzar's message that she didn't realise was there um and and that kind of blossoming of hope um that comes from that or from seeing little people and I, you know i mean this in the sense of kind of people who are on the world the galactic stage like normal people um holding out against the nile and that clinging onto their like these kind of tiny kind of glimmers of light in the darkness um and remembering actually okay i'm not alone um, and, and, you know, I, there are people out there who need me. Um, and you know, that's, that's Avar's journey through that's, it's the, the fact that she gets out of the occlusion, 
conclusions then at the end. Another spoiler, obviously. Um, but <laughs> um, is is the rekindling of hope for the Jedi? Really, that's that's what that moment is. So it's you know it's there isn't it's not a novel where you know there's a huge battle at the end and the Jedi win. It's not that sort of book, but it is the spark of hope being reignited by Avar getting out and getting home and everyone kind of like coming together in the council chamber at the end and you know Ava, her and Ava, um, and Elzar's hands brushing on the you know on the, on the edge of the the console and it's just that that moment of kind of well okay she survived she made it you know um we can do this we can do this together so it's it's that was that was kind of the for me the purpose of the of the book actually is to to show how hope was being rekindled, um, so that the Jedi can now go from there. And go okay, what do we could you know if, if we can do that we can do anything. So what has to happen? So as we wrap up, I just on a I just want to know was there a point of view in this book that you enjoyed writing the most? Um. I enjoyed them all. I mean, some of them were were, were hard because they were quite harrowing. I mean, Elzar was quite hard to write, um, not because he's a difficult character to write, but because of where he was at and you know where his headspace was. Um, but I think I probably had the most fun, with with Avar, particularly with the the scenes with Belen. Um, you know, because there's there was a little bit of. Um, humor in that and um and what that what that allows us to do again it's the same thing i was talking about light versus darkness you can leave in darkness with humor makes it gives you relief as a reader and, and as a writer but it also makes the darkness a bit darker if you see what i mean in contrast um so but um so yeah so those 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 scenes were probably some of the most fun to write um but i you know i Avar in general was 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 a lot of fun to do. You know that that whole journey she goes on, like finding herself again, um, and through the action scenes towards the end, and you know um, jumping between ships with Porter and stuff. And some of those action sequences were, were a huge amount of fun to to put together as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably. Probably the answer, Ava. But it'll change tomorrow. If some, you know, if someone else asks me the question, I'll be like, "Hmm, actually, I really enjoyed writing this character as well." You know, so it it, it changes. Uh, they're, so they're as all of like right my, now. They're my they're my babies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know. I always ask questions like this, and I'm like, "That's not fair." But I was just, you know, I'm yeah, of course you've got to ask them. <laughs> um, so now that this is out in the world, um, what is next for you? So I can't really say much about it, but it's um, Tears of the Nameless, um, is, which is the second YA book, um, which, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been very lucky to, to be able to go straight from working on Eye of Darkness into writing that, that novel as well. Um, you know, I've someone else asked me for three words to describe the book, so I'll give you them as well, yeah. which were um, Wreath, Aslin and Fear. Um, <laughs> so, um, ominous. you know, <laughs> ominous, yeah. Um, I mean, you've read Eye of Darkness, so, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but so I can't, I mean, I can't really say much more about that, but obviously, you know, the, the title speaks to the nameless as well. Um, so that's been a, that's, that's been a lot of fun to work on, 
Um, so that's that's probably the next thing you'll see from me, I would have thought. Mm -hmm. Other things in the pipeline, but more to be talked about later. Awesome. Okay, <laughs> so if people listening are not already following you online, where can they do so? Um, they can find me on Instagram at, at George Man Author, and probably Twitter as well is a good one, uh, or X as it's now called, um, at George underscore Man. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for talking to me today about Eye of Darkness, and congratulations again on Pub Day. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you all for listening. Our socials are linked below, and may the waffles be with you.